you coming back in here with dusty jerseys. I want to see you coming back in here with bloodstained jerseys now. Look at anybody go and sit and have a pint with those boys after that. And the referee is looking around and acting as Mickey. Tell the children to play tennis or something. If they want to play tennis, go and play tennis. It's the Tree Man Weave, the Balls of the EGA podcast with me, Mick McCarthy, with Mark Farrelly, with... No, oh, it's two men in the Tree Man Weave. Does that work this time? Well, technically we're going to have three men in a minute because we're going to be chatting to Rob Carroll and I'm very excited about it. Absolutely, yeah. It's a stat special. That's because we've got a very, very big game this weekend. So we're coming in with an early Wednesday show. We will hear, we hear with our usual Friday show where we build up to the massive match all the way, uh, you know, with a full full detail. But we're just going to do a, a stat special today, Mark. It's a massive game this weekend. I can't wait for it. Friday night, Kingspan Breffney, Killing Care versus Dove Ride in the oh. quarterfinal of the Cavan Junior Championship. I'm looking to see if Rob can give me any insight into Stop that Dove team. Stop it. There's another match on Sunday. It's two big matches this weekend. Dublin and Kerry. Five in a row. So we're obviously super excited. We had to jump in with especially the emergency podcast. Um, we're actually going to speak to Rob Carroll. Um, Rob Carroll, one of the premier, 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 premier uh, stats uh, men in the GEA. Um, he's been providing to us stats all year with uh, thanks to Shore, the official statistics partner of the GAA. And um, we're delighted to kind of catch up. We did it last year and just have a kind of a, an overall kind of conversation about the role that stats are playing in the GEA, more particularly, I think, Gaelic football with the weekend that's in it. Um, and I don't know, I know it's something that you and Morris are super interested in specifically because they do kind of tell the story of a game in a really, really interesting and sometimes different than what your eyes have shown you when you've just watched it for 70 minutes. I would say there's three things looking forward to in this chat with Rob. I'm looking forward to just chatting to him about how the game is evolving, how it's changing, and how the the stats that that show that. I'm looking forward to him explaining to us how we're wrong, all the all the uh, misconceptions we've uh, <laughs> we've. Uh, There's a few of those I'd uh, imagine. We've yeah. on this podcast throughout the summer. Uh, we're going to ask him about a couple of those things, the notions we've gotten into our heads that are probably going to be baseless, and uh, also just to like that he can arm us for Sunday. What we need to be watching out for in Dublin and Kerry, if Kerry are going to be able to stop Dublin, or what Dublin do so well that we need to keep an eye on. We'll get to Rob in a second, but just a few programming notes for a second, if you want to make me sound like a professional podcast broadcaster, which I most certainly am not. Uh, we will have another three-man weave back with you, as I mentioned, on Friday, looking fully ahead to the game. We'll also be back on Sunday night, the same as you with the hurling final, not Monday. So we'll be a day early with the show. We're going straight after the game on Sunday evening. We'll be with you for the way home from Crow Park, if you want to listen to us. Hot take central. Oh, yeah, full of it, full of full of hot air and hot takes um, on Sunday night. We'll be back. We'll be with you for that so uh, do tune in for that it was actually a good crack for the hurling final wasn't it it was indeed it was yeah great. so um, we'll be doing that again and also if you like other sports there are other sports as well I think aren't there we've got uh, the build up podcast coming out tomorrow Thursday morning where we look ahead to the entire weekend have a few kind of uh, predictions a few bets for the games we'll I think we'll probably include the all Ireland final in that it's, it's one of the events this weekend after all and uh, Mark you have a special new podcast that you're getting very excited about on Mondays yeah well unfortunately it's called the Balls.e football show but for the purposes of this podcast in this room we're only going to refer to it as the Balls.e soccer show um, so the soccer show will be with you every Monday for the rest of the season you can get that on the Balls.e podcast feed as well yeah we've World in Union our rugby show coming back as well next Tuesday I don't know nobody thinks nobody cares about the Rugby World Cup anymore because everyone thinks Ireland are terrible now but some of us still are and some of us still want to talk about it so we'll be back with that and talk about it after the Wales game and 
all of that to say is that we've a lot of bloody podcasts and we've got some really really good content on our balls.ie podcast feed which you can sign up for anywhere you get your podcasts sign up subscribe leave a rating leave a comment that would all be great um if you do enjoy our shows we have something for you almost every day at the moment but now we should talk a little bit more about the ga and ga stats and we're going to chat to rob carroll Okay, delighted to be joined by Rob Carroll. Rob Carroll has been providing us uh, the stats all year that we've been talking about on the show from Shore, the official statistics partner of the GEA. Rob, how are you? I'm very good, very good. Thanks for having me. Not too bad. It's, it's, a, it's a, one of those um, interesting times of year where you're probably at your absolute busiest getting ready for the football final and then the reaction after. But then, you know, there's time for reflection ahead as well. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's kind of a mad time. Like a Super 8 gets really busy with the week after week. Uh, it kind of calms down with the break between the hurling and final football, but like that, you're concerned about and left, right, and centre all the time. So it's, it's, it's actually the funnest time here because you're not actually analysing the game before just looking at the numbers and seeing what's happening. Rob, we had you in here last year, um, I think at the same time in between the finals. And we talked a yeah, lot about the sure. kind of evolution of stats and everything like that. I'm just wondering, like, in the last 12 months, if you've noticed kind of any trends across hurling and football that has, you know, been a kind of a, a, a revelation or anything that's kind of changing in the game in 2019? Yeah, I think I, I think one that I've been, I've been keeping an eye on quite a bit is, you know, there's a lot of talk of how it's become a, a possession-based game. Um, and that's, that's really evident, like, some work I was doing earlier in the year for the, the rules committee, the standing rules committee. Um, and we were looking at these trends over a period of time. So I've data gone back to 2011. Um, and you can really see that in the numbers, how, you know, in 2011, for example, you, you would have had 120 possessions a game. So you have teams kind of sharing 50, 60 possessions each um, across the course of the game, where now that's come down and it's, it's continuing to fall quite a bit. So like, there would have been some games this year where you're looking at teams with 40 possessions, 40 entire possessions for a game, and you're trying to manufacture 20 scores-ish from that kind of thing. So um, so that's really evident in, in the numbers, and you can see that kind of continuing to, to drop bit by bit as it goes. And even the way Mayo played the first half, the last day, you could kind of see that they were very intent on just keeping the ball, and it didn't matter for how long it took, but they were going to manufacture an effort or a shot from that. That's interesting actually bring that up because we were talking about that on the podcast here throughout the summer in terms of whether you're actually better if you are conceding, if you're going to give away a possession to the opposition, that, you know, that old saying of make sure the ball goes dead. And we just examined a couple of games. I think it was uh, most notably the Donegal Tyrone game in the Ulster Championship where it was a case of if you, the amount of scores Tyrone gave away from giving away a possession uh, in play, so you know, not getting getting their shot away, but it dropped short, or not getting their shot away and giving conceding turnovers, and the amount of scores Donegal got in the counter attack, is that something that you see throughout the sport? Obviously, we only have used a small sample size, but throughout Gaelic football, that this thing is happening where if you can if you end up conceding possession, it's nearly a lot worse these days because teams are so good on the counter attack. Yeah, and I suppose it's a case of sometimes the numbers disagree with you know, common consensus and, and there's things the numbers stick out and sometimes they just they they tell you the blindingly obvious and, and that's probably one, you know, like um any of the teams I've been involved in, that's always something the managers have kind of hammered home. And then when you look at the numbers it it again it plays out. And it actually plays out across nearly any sport. So if you look at rugby or soccer or, or basketball or take pick any kind of field sport, the 
if you concede possession in open play and the closer to your own goal you concede it, the more likely you are to, to give up a shot or a score. Um, so it's definitely it's one of those that, that the numbers plays out. And I, I think you should see that. I think that was a big cost for Mayo last week and it will be something I'm sure Kerry will be looking at is, you know, they'd rather kick a wide, you know, it could be 40 yards wide um, than cost up a possession and, and let Dublin counter-attack them, where they can't get their defensive setup or where they've committed players forward. So, yeah, I, I'd, I'd, again, I think you'll hear that scream from the sideline on, on Sunday. Um, it's to make sure the ball goes dead and you give yourself every chance to set up defensively. And it's it's an odd run then in that I would imagine if you obviously there's so much going to if you take that stat alone and there are a couple of others like that, that you could understand how blanket defences and the sort of monotonous football of you know not being overly attacking or taking any risks um, it completely makes sense. But again, the conception that is in it, maybe it's not ringing true in the sense that's something we wanted to chat about in terms of that Gaelic football is back is trending back towards a more attacking game, maybe teams taking a little bit more risk on the ball. What, how do you think that has happened? Like what, are, what are the other things that are pushing people that way? Yeah, I think, I think it's a couple of things. One is, the, I think people are a little bit more aware of when that opportunity to move the ball quickly is there. They, they want to take it and they need to take it. So it, I think you've seen that. I mean, it, it's a small increase and it's not back to where we were. But again, looking at the numbers, you can see that the ratio of hand pass to foot pass is coming a little bit back. So for the last six, seven seasons, it's been trending only one way. So more hand passes, less foot, less foot, less foot passes. Um, but actually, surprisingly, the championship so far, we've seen a little bit of a trend back either way. So, um, so I think teams are realising it's, it's when they do get the ball, when they do have that space, is that you know the managers are, are happy enough to take that that risk and, and try and move the ball forward. And some of that has been just the bravery of leaving more men up there, so now there's an option to hit somebody. Where I think previously the desire might have been to move the ball, but a midfielder or a defender looks up and, and all they see is is maybe one forward against three back. Um, so they, they just can't move it. So I, I some of these things come in and out of fashion, uh, and, and that seems to be one of them where managers have got a little bit more uh, leaning a little bit more towards the risk risk end of it, where, where they're happy enough to, to take that. But but again, the numbers kind of play that out, and you, you can kind of see that as as a small a small trend. Um, earlier on in the year, we had a conversation about the kind of prevalence of fisted goals in football and we had a long conversation at the same time about the the hand pass point and how it basically reached uh epic levels that there was far too much of it in the game now and then i think i don't know if it was from yourself or one of your colleagues that we saw stats then like three days later completely dismissing this as absolute nonsense (laughs) that they're they're basically the same amount as there's been for the past six or seven years i'm just wondering like i i don't know frustration probably might be the wrong word but when you see like the likes of us coming on and you know basically just trusting our memories and our eyes on what we're seeing on a, on, a, on a football or hurling field and you've got like the stats to prove it but you know we don't always kind of go by them is there sort of a i don't know if you know and obviously these things evolve and they take their time to kind of uh become part of the the common chat talk i suppose for want of a better word but does it frustrate you when you hear that those kind of conversations that are just based on nothing but you know our emotions when we're watching the game yeah yeah i like uh, yes and no. I, like, I think I think some of the ones that annoy you, the ones that have, have already been disproven. But yes, commentators will continue to throw out you know yeah. old lines and stuff like that. That one was one that was particularly interesting. You know, came up on Twitter or wherever it was discussed, and I just went away and had a look at the numbers. And 
Um, yeah, like even today, I, I, I this morning I just pulled it out again. Like so far in the, the games, just looking at 2018, 2019, I have one additional attempt by hand. Uh, <laughs> I, think I, I think I had 92 last year and I had 93 this year. You know, you can account for replays, but that's not even allowing for the same number of games. Running. But you're in that kind of space where like, you're nudging percentages, you know, tinily, but, you know, little bits here and there. Um, and I do think, you know, it could happen 10 times in a non-televised game. Nobody sees it. It happens in a quarterfinal, semifinal, something like that. And, and everyone is like, it's just me hyper aware. And that's, to be honest, that's just how our brains are programmed. That's why... That's why that's the numbers and data and kind of stuff exists is to try and say it's to double check those things. So I mean, less frustrated, but I do find it funny sometimes, you know, how positive people like yourself or how guaranteed they can be. And, you know, this is prevalent and it's totally shot up and whatever. And you have a look at the numbers and you're like, not sure. <laughs> not sure it's moved much at all. <laughs> um, on that note, are there any stats, say, so they're ones that we've. Um that like we're saying that we uh, might have got, got not gotten right at all, but uh, some that are kind of always thrown out there that maybe people are getting spot on, but are maybe overrated or others that are underrated. So um, I don't know whether maybe possessions players get whatever it is. Is there any stats to you that you think you know that maybe there's a little bit too much emphasis placed on them? Yeah, I, th- I think possessions is, is uh, as you said, that's, that's the biggest one I I kind of ignore. Um, that you see, it's, it's something managers ask a lot for, and uh, you'll see it in, in, in media circles as well, and that kind of stuff. It's, it's, to be honest, it's, it's one I kind of park straight away. I'm not, I'm not too interested. You know, sometimes there can be something nice or interesting in it, but it's, it's, it's one I, I kind of look away from. Um, probably the biggest one, like the biggest, you know, stat I would tell, even you know, a beginner, you know, a grassroots coach or something like that is, um, is not just the number of shots you've got off, but it's really looking at where those shots come from. Um, and you can see that, like I was I was looking back over the, the two teams from the weekend, Dublin and Kerry, and between them in their 13 games, or that, they, they've taken eight shots outside the 45, uh, between both of them. Um, so you can really see two teams that are just, you know, are going out and creating the best chances that they can, given the blanket defences and, and all that kind of stuff. So, um, I think that's one that gets underrated uh, in terms of not just shots, but like shot quality of, of where you're getting them from. And then the possessions will be one that I'd almost completely ignore in a lot of cases. Um, is there, it's funny, you mentioned the first time coach there, or, you know, like obviously there's a lot of people that should be looking at, you know, it's almost amateur stat keeping, you know, it's like they won't, mightn't have yeah. somebody in there to do it. What would you say is the is the, the kind of th- the things that, you know, coaches or managers should be taking kind of seriously, if obviously with limited resources and possibly trying to do three other jobs at the same time, what's the kind of thing that they should be looking out for in, on the most basic level? Yeah, and, and, and like I, I think a lot of the times it can feel more complicated. Like sometimes, you know, certainly in the rugby and that, you'll see like four guys sitting on a laptop in front of the manager and stuff like that. And I, I, I think there's loads of easy wins you can get. The, the shot location is one that I would certainly... Mm. You look at whether that's you know trying to look back over a video or even just on you know a notepad beside the pitch with a an image of the pitch just marking where you shoot from where your opposition shoot from um yeah it can give you a really easy win um and then the other one I always look at is how many times are you getting into the forty five so how many times have you penetrated the forty five and from that how many shots do you get off and 
I would I kind of start with those two and, and look at that obviously from a defensive point of view um, as my kind of two easy wins. Obviously, you look at kickouts and, and different things like that, but um, I think those at, at either end give you an idea. If you've got a lot of attacks but not many shots off, uh, well, then the issue may not be your shooting, it's, it's creating the chance in the first place. Where if you're getting you know, lots of attacks, you've done 30 attacks with 28 shots or something like that, but you haven't scored enough, then the issue is, is your shooting or your shooting actually, and that's where you then look at the kind of map of the pitch and try and see where you are. Um, but yeah, but having been involved in teams from all sorts of grades, and like even if I was going into a, a, a county team, even on Sunday, I would I would say you know there'll be a laptop or two between the two teams, but you still have somebody there collecting these very basic um, kind of stats because there's only so much the players or the management can process at half time what message you can get across. So. The biggest lessons just don't overcomplicate it, but they're probably the three or four that I would I would immediately pick up. What is your match day like, or your build up, say the week before a match? If you're involved with a team, especially at the county level, like we talk about, then maybe not overcomplicating it on game day. But is there something that's you know do you look a little deeper during the week? Um, obviously, a lot of these stats kind of marry together, and you need to integrate them with maybe GPS stats or whatever it is as well um, to get a full picture. If you're doing either opposition analysis or analysis of your own team. Yeah, like I, I think, yeah, I think that's, that'd be the big difference. So I think for a grassroots coach, you know, normal match day, you collect a few stats that might be the end of it. Uh, but I think now, like, you'd have teams of analysts, like, uh, you know, the winning speech for the hurling final, you know, they list about their backroom staff and kind of get an idea of what's behind that. Um, and the same with the staff. So both teams will have, will have a few different people looking at different aspects of the play, but they'll be digging into, you know, every player, both home and opposition, they'd be building up, you know, videos of Paul Mannion and uh, Clifford and that kind of stuff so that the defenders can watch, you know, their their 20 scores, their 30 scores in the season, whatever it is, and try and pick out any tendencies. How often do they use their left or their right foot? Where do they pick the ball up? Do they have a, a dummy? Do they have some sort of clue in, in what, they're, what they do that we can try and pick up on or read? Um, do they tend to take a hop first or solo first? You know, it'll be at that kind of level of detail where they're trying to pick up any sort of clue um, that where they can get one possession off them or one dispossession off them, and that will nearly be the job done in a lot of cases. Um, so yeah, so I, I don't think you could, I don't think you could possibly imagine the errors that would go into uh, the analysis side of it, and a lot of it may never reach the players. It's, you know, a lot of it might be just for managers. A lot of it is testing things that don't go any further. Then the analyst, you know, like I could sit here for hours and I have an idea in my head, but it, it doesn't really come to anything useful. Um, but a lot of it is you dig into the numbers and then you'll go back to the video. So by the time it gets to the players, a lot of the time you're dealing in, in video clips. Um, when it does reach the players, I presume there must be some real joy in, like, if, if you point out something to them that they get amazed that they haven't noticed before or something, if it is even just highlighting an opposition player, but this is a dummy they always do or they do, tend to do this, if you can do that. It must be brilliant to see that manifest itself on the pitch. Then, yeah, and then, to be honest, that's why I do the job. You know, when you're involved with a team, like there's nothing better than seeing something that was in a meeting room six weeks ago suddenly appear on uh, on a pitch. Uh, and I remember when I was involved with Kildare a few years ago, you know, there was a particular kickout routine we were working on. Um, uh, exactly the same thing happened. It was, I think, a league final. We did it in, and you know, somebody found themselves in like. 20 yards of space. It looked awful from a Tyrone point of view, but that was, you know, that was a hours of meeting somewhere 
few crashes on the pitch and, and that kind of stuff. So when you do see it come off, it's it's, it's fantastic. And, and you'd be surprised how how many of those tiny little wins, and that's all they might be. It might be just you push the guy five yards wider to make that shot just that little bit harder and it goes wide. Uh, I think everyone's looking at the, the shooter, but sometimes the defender has, has picked something up that's just pushed them onto the wrong side uh, and just done enough to to put the odds in their favour. So a lot of the time it can be very small wins, but you do get that. It's class feeling though. Um, just looking back, uh, I'm, I'm interested. I'm going to use the hurling final as an example, uh, but it's more. I, I've been thinking about this: is that like you know we get the on the whistle stats, you know, and there's only kind of so much you can do, but they're like they're incredibly useful. But it's like there's a hunch I have that's like you know that there's a lot more that uh, you guys do that kind of like comes later in the week maybe when the media spotlight's gone that's of use to the managers like for example in the hurling like I mean there's we know what the the you know the tackles and the the chances and the puckouts and all those stats were but the specific of when it was what they were before the Richie Hogan sending off and after kind of will tell an even bigger story you know what I mean do you have that sort of like second or third or fourth look into each game to sort of uh, you know I I understand there is only a limited amount of time when you're doing so many so many over the course of a season. Yeah, yeah, no, but it's it definitely a big game. Like even on on the the All Ireland the hurling final, there I was, I was looking at that. Like when uh, everything was fairly even until the sending off. When you like you look at puck outs one and you look at shots, you know it's pretty much neck and neck. And then uh, the sending off happens and. Uh, what was it Tipperary won 31 out of the 37 remaining hookouts um, <laughs> after the sending off you know and then the same they doubled the amount of shots and things like that so so even at that very cursory level you know splitting that game into two um, but then you, you'll dig into loads of other stuff like so I mentioned the shot location stuff and, and that kind of stuff um, like I, I'd have models that would test you know so that player scored from these four locations, but what should he have scored from those four locations? So based on all of the other players in the championship over the last six or seven years, uh, you can work out a thing. If any eagle-eyed match of the day watchers will see it now, it comes up at the bottom when they're interviewing the players like an expected goals kind of metric. Um, so it's what should a player have done or what was likely to happen given those situations that they had. So that, again, would be something that I would run a lot uh, of the numbers through. So we might look in general and say, yeah, we 20 shots inside the community or something like that. But we can go a level deeper and say, right, given those 20 shots, what would we normally score? What would we expect the team to score? Um, and that can give us a really good idea. No one likes the word look. But sometimes that can give us a really idea whether, you know, somebody just had a really hot day and they, you know, they got four scores from something that we normally expect one or two scores from. Um, but that can be really useful for teams um, because you don't get carried away with yourself in one sense. So if you've had a really hot day and scored loads, uh, it can kind of keep you in check and say, well, we didn't actually create the chances that would normally get that score. And likewise, sometimes you have a bad day, but you can look at the underlying numbers and say, you know, actually, we just had a bad day. The shots we were creating looked really good and we should have scored, scored much higher. That won't be a lot of use on a single day and an all-out final to, to the two guys, but to the two teams, but certainly building up, uh, there are things we can kind of look at and, and model and, and see are, is a team having a run of luck or not? It's funny you mentioned the expected goals because it's one I was thinking of in terms of, it's a perfect example from other sports of marrying stats together 
to come up with um, your own kind of formula. And the, the, that also probably is uh, something similar to in terms of when you're talking about your work with the rules committee and trying to decide, you know come up with these tweaks to the game that can send it in one or two directions. From the experience of the rules that were tested out in the Alliance Leagues, uh, what stood out for you? Did anything have a major positive impact, do you think? Um, or was there some that you weren't expecting that it would have the impact it did? Yeah, look, I, I think obviously the hand pass rule was, was tested. That's probably the biggest one that got got the most attention. Um, I think I think the one that I would find most interesting, and, and you know, that's not say it'll be positive or negative. It's one of those things you're, you're kind of trying to make best estimates and best guesses on, on the data that you have. But uh, I think the mark would be would be really interesting to see how that might change the game. Um, I think in the league sense, we saw some changes, and you could see as the league progressed. Uh, you could see a few more creeping in, but I think given a full pre-season or or those kind of things, if, if it was to ever pass, I, I think it would be really interesting one to see how that changes the game in terms of that risk reward from kicking it uh, to, to, to running it at the moment. And, and it's not to say it would definitely work, but it's, you're trying to tip that balance a little bit, uh, a little bit in the favour of kick passing in, in terms of trying to see those those long balls and. By that, you're trying to reward a team, you know, with with essentially a free. Um, so I, I think that one would be the most interesting from from my point of view to see how that changes the dynamic of the game and whether managers feel that that risk is worth it or not. And, and to be honest, you'd be fairly quickly able to tell in terms of the numbers, in terms of the number of possessions they they maintain and keep and scores they get off it. Um, but yeah, that, that was one that kind of stood out. I, I hope to see a lot more marks in, in the league, but I think given the short kind of window to prepare and stuff like that, it wasn't uh, it, it wasn't as prevalent as I thought it might be. Yeah, absolutely. The football final then, Rob, um, I'm sure you've done a lot of uh, work and a lot of look at both teams. Um, I suppose my question is, like, if we're looking at this in the first 15 minutes, uh, you know, of the game, what, like, which of the stats for you would suggest, you know, so sometimes the scoreline, you know, a Dublin match especially, it might be three points all, but you've probably got all the stats or like that Dublin are doing everything right and the other team are falling into their trap or anything like that. Is there anything that we should look out for in the first few minutes that you would say, this is a good sign for Kerry or this is a very good sign for Dublin? Yeah, I think, I, I think more so in the Dublin, like, I, I think Dublin are a funny team. Like, Dublin could be 10 points down in the 55th minute, and I don't think anyone would write them off. Well, I certainly wouldn't write them off. They, they have that capability. Uh, where I think if you flip that, I think if Kerry are 10 points down in the 55th minute, so I think forget about it. Uh, you wouldn't think they're going to, they're going to claw that one back. I think from a Kerry point of view, and Dublin has given up these, like, spots and times, you know, they just seem to have a run of five or six minutes where, where, you know, the, the kick-out doesn't quite fire or a team just gets on top a little bit. I think Kerry really have to hammer that home. So for me, I'd be less concerned with the score. Again, if you come back to the, the possessions, Kerry are going to have about 45 possessions of, of the ball um, on Sunday. And if 10 of them happen in the first 10 minutes, you still got to see those eight scores, seven scores from that. Um, even if the score is 7-6 or 7-0, it, it doesn't really matter I'd, I'd be more interested in from Kerry's possessions. What are they getting in, in return for that? Um, so, so even if it's a low-scoring game, but they haven't had a lot of possession, I, I'd be comfortable enough with that. Um, yeah, you're kind of looking for that um, return on, on possession, basically, uh, that they can do because they, they'll go through a period of the game where, where Dublin will dominate and, and not be back in it. Um, 
you know, and I, I'm looking for less on a on a numbers basis, but more probably on a tactical basis. Is Kerry are going to have to try and push the, the Dublin kick out at times? I don't think they'll do it. Um, I don't think they'll do it for the entire game, uh, but they are going to push at times. What I'm interested to see is, is how in tune that whole team is with doing that, so that you don't run into the scenario where four forwards pressing, everyone else is dropped, and there's this big gap. You know, on the Dublin 65 kind of thing where Cluxton can chip balls in. I think that's probably the most dangerous Terry Terry can get into in terms of the kick out. They're either going to have to all go or all drop. And it'll be really interesting to see how systematically they set up and to avoid that kind of middle ground where they just get picked off. It does the kick out, um, kick out stats and the strategies around kick outs ever cease to amaze you and how they're changing so much. Like a few years ago, there were very, very little teams pressing the ball. Now you're pressing it. You know, teams against success, but then you have the likes of Sean Patton, Rory Began, who can just kick over this press, and it seems to be that it, it keeps evolving every year. Yeah, it, 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 it's a fascinating area, and like you mentioned as well about like what teams will be doing during the week. So, a, a big thing that happens certainly in, from the games that are in Crow Park onwards is a lot of the teams will gather the four or five camera angles. Um, so, one of the big things is down near the TV trucks there's a table set up and, and the teams will arrive with their laptops and plug in the, the, behind the goal view and all that kind of stuff less so on the day they'll use that but certainly you know when for the Super 8 games semi-finals and so on uh, Terry and Dublin will have you know four or five games from behind the goal so what they'll see compared to what you might see on the telly is, is completely different in terms of the movements and the structure um, but yeah it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating area and I think I think, as well as the round kickouts, I think the biggest thing that that you'll notice from the game is is Dublin's ability to win the opposition kickouts. Like again, I was having a look at it there. They win, they win almost a third of opposition kickouts, um, which is a huge differential uh, between what they give up themselves. And I think you know it's a bit of a cliche in terms of the kickouts and, and being how important they are. But I, I think Kerry kickouts are, are more important nearly than Dublin. What, what would um, what would a decent like if you were an inter say they win a third? What would a county teams usually win of an opposition kick out, or what would you be targeting yeah, as so a decent percentage? Kerry are around about twenty percent. So um, yeah, so Kerry are around about twenty percent of winning the opposition kick out. Um, so you're in that kind of ballpark. Dublin are are, are pretty are very decent at it. Um, you know, you have one or two teams over the season that might do a little bit better, but Dublin are right up there. Um, and I think as well as Dublin have a very good ability to keep that pressure on. So sometimes you can look at the stats. Like I look back at, so Mayo did really well on Dublin's kickouts in the second half <laughs> in the semi-final. But like it, it didn't really matter. You know, the game yeah. was done and dusted. So, so sometimes what teams will be digging into is, you know, Dublin are really good at getting four, five, six in a row. And then they might drop off the intensity and let a team pick a few short and then they'll go again. And I think when that spell happens, like in the Mayo game where they didn't kind of kill the game. That's really what I'm looking for, you know, from a tactical point of view is what's Kerry's outfall. You know, when Dublin have got a, maybe a goal and they've won the next two kickouts, what has Kerry got to, to counteract that? And not a lot of teams have come up with things to do that. Uh, but for me, that's probably one of the big strategies I'd have going into the game is when we're under the cosh, do we have a, do we have a get out of jail kick out here where we can just win possession? keep it for a minute or two and, and, and kind of kill the game for a bit. Last half for you, Rob. How many teams have ever won the five in a row? <laughs> I'll answer that on Monday. 
Okay. <laughs> Great stuff. Listen, enjoy the game and uh, all that you get out of it, uh, be it on Sunday evening or even on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday next week. And um, hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. And our thanks to Shore, the official statistics partner of the GAA, who Rob has been uh, providing stats for all year. Um, I don't know, Mark. Does this? I'm I'm fascinated now by the uh, by the the 45 possessions and what Kerry do with their first 10. That's gonna be the thing. I, I'm just gonna watch that. Like, I like there'll be two sentences off, and I won't even notice. I'll be like, that that, that doesn't count as a carry possession here now. <laughs> That's it because it does. Like, at least we were right with the. You need to get the ball dead rather than concede it in yeah. open play. Wrong so about the fist passes, but we already knew that. Robert yeah. already proved us wrong on Twitter about that. Yeah, yeah exactly. So. Uh, that's definitely something that I'm intrigued by. Um, it's funny, I've listened to Rob there, and like, geez, if him and Morris get into a room together, it could a month could pass and they'd never get bored. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had, we had to kick Morris out because we just didn't have uh, three hours, uh, you know, we didn't want a three-hour podcast clogging up be. your feet, as fascinating as it would be, yeah, of course. Um, right, well, look, we'll be back on Friday. The actual three men of the three men we've, uh, myself, Morris, and Mark will be back uh, with you. No, I'm, I'm off. Oh, right, okay, you're off Friday. Oh, you've, we'll got, that, you've got that match you were telling us about there. Yeah, yeah. We've got, we'll get the three men back together. We'll, we'll have point. three Sunday. men, just one of them won't be Mark. And then, well, we don't know uh, on Sunday, but we will be here with you on Sunday straight after the game. You, I'll drop it into your feed about maybe an hour after, maybe an hour and a half after the full-time whistle. So um, if you're going to Croker, you can listen to us on the, the long drive, the long celebratory drive home to Kerry exactly. after they stopped the five in a row. In true GA fashion, pre-All-Ireland final pep talk here for the podcast in general before it it doesn't matter who the three men is if all three men go down the rest of the lads there's lads on the sideline waiting to slot in we are going to function as a team we're going to function as three men in a weave and we're going to do some top-notch podcasting don't forget to tune in to the Build-Up podcast, which is coming up tomorrow. We're going to have Jason Quigley on that. We're going to have uh, talking about the Lamachenko fight. We're going to have Stephen Ferris talk about the disaster that is Irish rugby. And we'll have lots more Build-Up to the weekend. And we'll be back with you on the Tree Man Weave on Friday. Talk to you then. Talk to you then.